As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as God apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sue. Good morning, friends. My name's Sam. I'm the pastor of our Uni Church congregation. It's a joy to open this part of God's word with you this morning. Uh, My question for us as we begin, as we get stuck into God's Word in Ephesians 4, is what is God calling us to at St. Jude's this year? What's God's desire for our community for this year and beyond in this new season? Maybe maybe that's a question that you've asked for yourself in your own life before. What, What is God calling me to? What am I called to do? What is God's calling on my life? For followers of Jesus, we know a God who's sovereign over the whole world, who's in control of everything and intimately involved in every life. He hung the stars in the sky and he knows every hair on our heads. And so as we bring our lives under his rule, we want to know what his will is for our lives, don't we? We want to please him with our lives. And we want our lives to align with his plans for us. We want to make the right decisions, take the right jobs, join the right church, buy the right house. 
It's exciting to seek God's will in these, these decisions, these circumstances of our lives, isn't it? It's like the, the excitement of being offered a job and thinking about what the job will involve or the anticipation of knowing the coach's plan for your role in the team in the upcoming season. And indeed, God cares deeply about our circumstances. As we read a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 2, he has prepared good works for us to do. But when scripture talks about God's calling on our lives, what he calls us to, as we read at the beginning of this passage in Ephesians 4, something a bit different is in view. In Galatians 1, God calls us to live in the grace of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, God calls us to fellowship with his son. In 1 Corinthians 7, God calls us to live in peace. In various verses throughout the New Testament, God calls us to faith, to be free. He calls us to hope, calls us into his kingdom and glory, calls us to a holy life, calls us to eternal life, to honour calls us into his wonderful light and to suffer with Christ. In the language of the Bible, God's call, God's calling to us is to salvation and life in Christ, not primarily to particular circumstances or decisions like like relationships or jobs or places. Certainly God knows and he appoints those circumstances of our lives, but he calls us to something deeper than that. God's calling isn't about what we do, but about who we are. And likewise, for us together as a community here, God's call to us isn't primarily about what we do, but about who we are. So we might seek God's will for all kinds of plans and and decisions and hopes in our life together. And that's something that we continue to do. We would love to plant a new congregation here this year. We would love to serve more local children and families in midweek groups here to bring more people into relationship with Jesus. We would love to see more passionate and godly people raised up to serve God in vocational ministry. But what is God calling us to? He's not calling us to do something, but to be something. If you've got your Bible open, have a look at verse 1 in our passage with me. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what is the calling that we have received? And what does it look like for us to live a life worthy of that call? Well, in Ephesians 4, God's word holds up the calling that we have received to a life together of maturity. God is calling us to maturity. In the logic of these verses, we see in verse 13 the end goal of God's work in us, the end state of his work, that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we find the fullness of Christ in maturity together. And maturity might not 
immediately jump out as the most exciting call on our life, right? If I wrote the Bible, this is a fun game to play, if I wrote the Bible, then maybe I would have said God's call here is to a life of impact or a life of transformation or a life of abundant fruit. But thankfully it was God who wrote the Bible. Uh, And here the call is to maturity. But you know what? Maturity might actually be exactly the thing that we need. And for me, the best proof of this, the best evidence of this, is to remember back to when I was a young teenager. The awkward man-boy phase with legs growing longer but decision-making capacity seemingly shrinking. Awkward interactions with girls, awkward phone calls, awkward haircuts, awkward email addresses, cringeworthy memories of immaturity. Compare yourself now to yourself at your most immature and perhaps maturity becomes a bit more appealing after all. Read with me verses 14 to 16 where we see Paul picture what it looks like when we live out this mature together life. So he writes, then once we're living out this mature life together, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul uses here one of his favourite word pictures to describe a mature church, the picture of a human body. A mature body is a healthy and resilient and vibrant body. My, My daughter, Bella, Uh, who's out in the creche right now, turns two this coming week. And as she continues to grow into her body, she's often pretty uncoordinated. She seems to have these seasons where her brain and her body just don't quite line up. And she walks around with an ever-evolving constellation of bruises on her forehead and on her knees. She has stacks five times a day, which would likely put you or me in the emergency room. But but a, a healthy, mature body is very different to that, right? A healthy, mature body is coordinated, it's efficient, it can fight off sickness, it can lift heavy things and maintain balance. Think of the the power of a sprinter or the control of a dancer. And God calls us together to be a mature, healthy body. To no longer be infants, verse 14, because what happens An immature body gets tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, when I was a child, my parents found some pleasure in exploiting the foolishness of a child. Funnily enough, my parents happened to be here visiting today. Uh, So apologies, mum and dad, but you've got no one but yourself to blame here. They were happy to exploit the foolishness of a child. They taught me that cartoons only aired on TV on Saturdays. They taught me that supermarkets only stocked Cocoa Pops during the school holidays. 
And they told me that when the ice cream van was playing its music, that meant he was out of ice cream. <laughs> it's the, the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. <laughs> and in my immaturity, I bought it, right? I believed it. I actually have great parents for what it's worth. That, that, that's, that's what an immature body of Christ looks like, right? Susceptible to being deceived, being swayed, being tossed about by people. But in, instead, Paul pictures, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all things into Jesus, who is the head Maturity in the body of Christ is so important in order for us to fit with Jesus, our head. So the picture here in verse 15 in this human body language that Paul's using is of a body growing into its head, which I find very odd picture, right? The head of a mature adult with the body of an infant below, like one of those frames that you place your head in with a picture underneath. But God calls us to grow up into our head, to fit with Jesus, so that we're no longer ill-fitting, but rightly fitting with him. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we grow up to fit with our head, we build ourselves up in love. How? As every part does its work. When a, when a human body is in harmony, when its systems are healthy together, that is a body which builds itself up into maturity, becoming resilient and healthy. And that's the kind of body that God calls us to be here at St. Jude's. That is our calling. How then does God bring about this maturity in the church? What does he do among us to grow us, to fit with our head, Jesus? Well, he does it through building us in our unity and in our diversity. A church which demonstrates godly unity and godly diversity is a church that is mature, living out its calling. We see God's call to unity in the first part of this passage, to live lives worthy of God's call. We see a picture of deep interconnectedness among us with other followers of Jesus, love and unity and peace together. Have a look at verse 2. He calls us, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that all of those behaviours of the Christian life are things we do with other people. Living a life worthy of our calling is a life built on our behaviour towards each other. A relationship of love with God is expressed in relationships of love with other people. So our, our unity in the gospel, verse 2 there, arises from our love for each other. And then in verses 3 to 6, our unity in the gospel is 
powered by the unity of our God. Our unity together in the gospel is powered by the unity of our God. In those verses, we see the three persons of God, the Trinity, at work. If you've got to open in front of you, have a look there for the three persons of the Trinity. We see Father, Son, and Spirit together bringing about our unity with one another. See, in in salvation, a believer is drawn into the life of God, the Trinity, experiencing the love that God holds within himself. And the new believer is drawn into the life of God's family, the human community which shares that love of God. Our love for one another is powered by God's love in himself. And so that kind of love among us, which is powered by God's love and God's love within himself, is powerful. It's powerful because it stands out. In in a culture around us, in Melbourne's inner north, with growing crises of isolation and loneliness, growing cultural division and conflict, unity in the gospel is a wonderful blessing and a witness. And that unity in the gospel is so remarkable, it stands out so brightly because of the diversity that it brings together. So after celebrating the oneness that we have in the one faith, the one baptism, the one God, Paul writes from verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given. So in in, in that first section in verses 1 to 6, imagine Paul holding up a clock the unity of a clock, the the perfect synchronization of it. But then from verse 7, he opens it up and he starts to point out what's inside. He points to the gears and the screws and the hands and the batteries, showing us each unique part doing its work to make the whole thing function together. In verse 11... Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Can you see the different gears and mechanisms at work within that verse? There's Christ himself. He gives various types of leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people, that's everyone, all of us, for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ, that's all of us together, may be built up so that we may fit with our head. I love this picture here in verse 11 because it shows us that the primary location of ministry, the main game in the church, is among the body, all believers. Leaders and and teachers like me, we're, we're secondary, right? We're here to equip and encourage and support everyone. You are the main game in God's picture for the church here. See, in in a, a company, a corporation, leaders are placed above others in order to provide order and, and structure and decision making. But in the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, teachers are placed by God below the rest, below the rest of the community to equip and encourage and exhort like the roots of a plant move energy up into the trunk and the branches and the leaves which bear fruit. 
So too God uses Christian leaders to bring about fruit among the whole community of believers. And this this diversity and plurality of gifts in the church is wonderful, life-giving richness. It's true unity, and it makes us unique. See, we've got unity and diversity. Unity without diversity, it's just, it's uniformity. It's like row upon row of factory line cars, all identical to each other. And diversity without unity is, is empty. It's destined to fail, like a clock in which every piece is trying to tell a different time. But true unity with rich diversity, that is something wonderful. It's, it's like a vibrant ecosystem with each unique plant and animal playing its part in the health of the whole. It's like a pair of figure skaters with his strength and speed matching her grace and poise to create something beautiful. Diversity of gifts, unity in the gospel. At the swimming pool the other day, I walked past the fabulous 50s. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe some people here are part of groups like this. This is an exercise class in the pool. Tends to be mostly older people arranged in a perfect grid in the pool with arms out and and forwards and up, legs kicking around under the water, a bit like a duck, Like like a regiment of synchronized swimmers in the pool, though perhaps not quite as glamorous. That group of people, they can keep time, they're they're synchronized to each other because of the tanned, bouncy instructor at the edge of the pool, right, yelling instructions at them to a tinny CD playing Michael Jackson. That's how they keep unity together, by all watching the same instructor. And our unity in the gospel works because we are all following the same instructor, For all our difference, our hearts and our lives are set on the same person, the same example, the same empowerer, the same goal. It's Christ who's at the centre of our unity and it's in him and him alone that our unity finds its power. We know Christ is at the centre of this call to unity just by how much this passage mentions Christ. Christ is mentioned 16 times in our 16 verses. We are his body. It's him who gave us our leaders. He distributes gifts to his people. We grow into fullness in him. He is the head of the body. Our unity finds its power and its center and its focus in Jesus. Now, We talk about unity and diversity, right? Australian culture is one which highly values diversity. Diversity is a key value that that directs organisations, policymakers, public discourse, media. You likely experience this value on diversity as it's held up in workplaces. There's many other cultures around our world who don't share that value, particularly collectivist cultures which are common in Asia and and South America. 
Several members of our Unichurch congregation have commented to me how on their arrival in Australia, one of the things that first stood out to them strongly was how much diversity is valued here. Yet, the diversity that is so valued, so held up here, is, is diversity without a centre, without real unity. And so its potential is limited to, to polite tolerance. Now, we might enshrine cultural and, and sexual and gender and ability and racial diversity in our laws and our media, but without true unity, what's the, the end goal of that? Just parallel lives with different goals. People continue their lives with different scripts, different narratives, different goals and loves and hates and fears. With, with worldly diversity, the best we can hope for is tolerance. Right? As people and as groups live parallel and, and often divergent lives. For some of us here who might have grown up in collectivist cultures, that the biblical picture of the church here subverts the value of uniformity and conforming. The church is not a factory floor of cars, identical in row upon row. For, for all of us, rather, whatever culture we've grown up in, as A.W. Tozer wrote, the church is like 100 pianos tuned to the same tuning fork and so automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So 100 worshippers together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to focus on each other and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. See, with Christ at the centre, we can look beyond just worldly tolerance. We can instead enjoy deep and enduring unity. And then, as we heard Paul write, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, but instead be the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Every person in the room here this morning has unique experiences and skills and abilities and passions. Every Christian in the room here has the Holy Spirit of God living inside you, empowering you with gifts to serve this body of believers. So, so do it. Love and serve one another. Right now, to, to your left and to your right, in front and behind you, sit brothers and sisters in the family of God, people with whom you share the deepest part of who you are. You may not share the same hobbies, the same culture, the same life stage, the same heart language, but that's exactly the point, right? Right? You don't need to share those things to have this unity because together you share something deeper. A favourite preacher of mine, Francis Chan, he tells the story of a gang member who got saved and joined his church. 
At first, the man was really excited and committed and passionate about his new Christian life and community. But after a few months, he was less enthusiastic, less regular, less connected. And so Francis reached out to him and asked him what had had changed. And he said, when I joined the church, I thought it would be like my gang. In my gang, people had my back. People were committed to each other. We were family. I guess I just thought church would be like that too. What a devastating comment. Imagine the power of a truly united community witnessing the gospel here. As people join us every Sunday to hear the message of Jesus... What if they see it lived out radically among us as well? People serving one another, loving one another, praying with one another, sharing life with one another, across barriers and with all the diverse gifts that God has given us. How could we be that today? How could you be part of that today? What could you do even after our service as we wander out into the foyer? What would it look like for you to exercise the spiritual gift of encouragement and encourage someone in faith? What would it look like to ask someone or offer to someone time praying with them? What would it look like to get to know someone that you've never met before? That's the thing about this picture of unity and diversity for maturity in our life together. It's not actually that complicated, right? It's a bunch of unique people loving and serving one another. But amazingly, that is God's formula to build a mature body, to build a community which changes the world and endures into eternity. I desperately want to see us live out this calling of God then this is our calling life together worthy of the calling we have received so I'm going to pray now that God would do that in us and through us and if you want that too would you pray it with me God unite us around Jesus our head in all of our diversity and our richness, make us one as we follow the same instructor, as we're all tuned to the same tuning fork, as we all live for the one Jesus. Together, Lord, build us into a mature body that fits with him, our head. And we pray it for his glory. Amen.